there are a lot of things that you need to keep in mind when using supplements, particularly if you're using it to improve strength or exercise, because in that situation, you're trying to improve performance. So you want to make sure that whatever you're using is healthy and worth it because it's not essential to life. And the other thing that is really important to keep in mind is just like drugs or food, individuals act very different. So a generalization about a supplement doesn't hold up for all individuals, and that is certainly true with creatine. I know some people who feel it really helps them a lot, and other people that didn't feel like it helped them at all, so they stopped using it. And we all know people that can eat anything they want and not gain a pound, and other people that practically just smell a donut and gain two pounds. Likewise, when and how you use a supplement impacts on how effective it is. So supplements can be useful, but are not nearly as important as engaging in exercise and proper diet. And a perfect example of this is something like pre-workouts that have many ingredients, but particularly caffeine. So caffeine, yes, it can boost your intensity, but we all know days where that doesn't happen, whether you're a coffee drinker and using it for just waking up in the morning or before a workout, it doesn't always work for you, right? So for a lot of us, when we are really tired, such as a morning where we did not get a good night's sleep or an afternoon where we're drinking a cup of coffee to get a boost that we hope happens, there's plenty of times where the caffeine, the only thing it really does boost is our heart rate and our nervousness, and we remain totally exhausted. The other thing worth stating, which is the obvious, is that supplements will not change a lazy attitude. So if you fall into the I can't reach it, so I don't need it category of attitude, trust me that taking creatine or any other supplement for muscles won't do a damn thing for you. So first off, ask your doctor if getting up off your ass is right for you. And if they say no, get a second opinion from me because it is the right thing for you. Another thing I really want to state at the outset is while there are important and useful supplements for gaining strength, many, if not most, are little more than flashy advertising. So all those muscle gainers, those weight loss supplements, those testosterone boosters, very few are worth much. The advertisements work, but they don't really work in the gym or outside the gym almost all the time, unless there's something more in it than what they're saying is on the bottle, which does happen too. But the advertisements are effective in getting people to buy this stuff. And that's why I think I'm going to make a hike gain supplement because I do get the sense that people will buy just about anything. And listen, people are going to use what they're going to use. The only thing I ask that you use, no matter who you are, is your turn signal. That request aside, among the advice that I give when buying supplements is stay away from any label that says, quote, proprietary blend, okay? Because that often means one of several things. The first thing that it for sure means is that you don't know what you're getting. That's why they just call it a proprietary blend. The second thing is that you're very often just getting a bunk product. By not listing the ingredients and calling it a proprietary blend, is a really easy way to rip people off. The third point is probably the most important, which is that the concentration and components may actually be toxic. 
and there is potential for real harm. So previous outbreaks of liver injury in products like Oxylipro and Hydroxycut are examples of the tragedy that can occur. Now sometimes a single ingredient can be implicated in liver injury and green tea extracts in high dosages is one such supplement of concern. So know what you're taking even if it's just a single product, but I will tell you that's often the multiple ingredient products, often with the label proprietary blend, that will take a brother or sister down faster than a Kardashian can take down an NBA player. And I don't care how strong or how good of a shape you are in, you are not going to live without a liver. And that's not to say that every liver injury ends in fatal hepatic failure, because usually it doesn't, but when the liver does die, so do you without a transplant. And I've done a podcast on drug-induced liver injury, and there's also a great review of the many types of drug-induced liver injuries, which was in the July 19th. 2019 New England Journal of Medicine for people that want to read more about that and they do get into supplements a little bit as well. Now most people that work in healthcare, at least the ones I have met, and there are certainly exceptions to what I'm about to say, but most people are so far removed from high intensity fitness that they look at protein powders and creatine like they are anabolic steroids. They have an emotional judgment based on loose associations and actually often self-resentment that they actually shun knowledge and leap to conclusions, and that's disappointing. So I hope a lot of the people that are listening to this lecture, and I know I have mostly medical professionals that listen to me as opposed to a broader audience, will take home some really important points about a supplement like creatine and gain a lot of knowledge about it, even though it's not something that will be useful in your life. Because many, many people out there, a lot of your patients are using it, so you do need to know about it. And the first thing that people should know about it is that our body makes it. So it's synthesized in the liver and the kidneys. It's naturally produced by the human body. The other thing is that you're usually taking creatine in through your diet, particularly if you're a red meat eater or a fish eater. So a pound of raw beef or salmon usually provides about one to two grams of creatine. So as we'll get into, the people that supplement creatine, so athletes that consume creatine in their drinks or whatever, usually consume about five grams of creatine a day. Some go up to 10 grams a day, but most about five grams a day. But again, even if you don't supplement creatine, you have it in your body, and more than 90% of it is in your skeletal muscles. Roughly about 5% is in your brain, but it is in other areas like your blood and other tissues. Even if you're a vegetarian, you have creatine in you. Now, if you eat meat, so steak, salmon, but also chicken, herring, cod, pork, tuna, venison, these all have creatine in them. If you're a vegetarian, you synthesize the creatine yourself, as I said, in the liver or the kidneys. But what is interesting is I already mentioned that creatine is not just found in skeletal muscle, that a sizable minority, about 5%, is in the brain. 
And in 2011, there was a randomized double-blind study that looked at females, 128 of them, and they divided the females into who were vegetarians and who were omnivores, and they looked at the influence of creatine supplementation on cognitive functioning. So this was in the British Journal of Nutrition in April 2011. And in the omnivores, meaning those that ate meat, it really didn't help their memory at all to have creatine supplementation. But when they were giving the creatine supplementation to the vegetarian young women, this was mostly a young adult female study, in those vegetarians, taking creatine improved their memory. And the reason I bring this up early, while most people think of creatine purely in the sense of muscles and exercise, most things in life have more than one impact. So in modern medicine, we know, for instance, that we used aspirin for years as a painkiller. But on a separate note, we also use it for myocardial infarctions, heart attacks. We use it for strokes and stroke prevention because it has more than one effect in the body. And that is also true for supplements. Whether they're legal or illegal, for example, erythropoietin is a performance-enhancing drug often used in distance sports, so cycling would probably be the most famous use of it, like in the Tour de France. And of course, us doctors prescribe erythropoietin for people that need it for certain types of anemia, such as anemia and kidney disease. But getting to its use in performance enhancement, which I strongly advise against, is most people think of it as a hemoglobin increaser. So you increase the hemoglobin erythropoietin, which is why it works in anemia, increases the amount of red blood cells that you have, and then you carry more oxygen. So it does work that way, but it's interesting because when you talk to athletes that use erythropoietin, one of the things they tell you is that it seems to increase their motivation and therefore their ability to take pain and endure, you know, endurance. And this seems to be beyond just the oxygen carrying capacity increase that happens when you increase the red blood cells. Meaning if you phlebotomize these athletes and you keep them at the same hemoglobin, they feel they are getting some sort, I don't want to say stimulant because it's not a stimulant, but some sort of impact on the brain or central nervous system or muscles or whatever that makes them better able to endure. And I don't know why that is, and I suspect that's something that we'll figure out down the line, although let me reemphasize that taking it for reasons of performance enhancement is a really bad idea for a lot of reasons beyond just that it's cheating. And we have learned this the hard way in medicine, which is that it can increase the risk of tumor growth. So we used to use erythropoietin a lot more in our cancer patients that would be anemic, and now we have better guidelines for using it. But it turns out it seems to be a growth factor for tumors. And then, of course, when you increase the hemoglobin too much in the red blood cells, you're putting yourself at risk for clotting off and having strokes and heart attacks and increasing your blood pressure significantly. That can cause a lot of things like strokes and heart attacks but also the clotting of blood, such as in the veins of legs, causing deep vein thrombosis and breaking off and causing pulmonary embolisms, let alone breaking off and causing strokes, is something that is very, very disappointing to see in somebody that 
didn't need it for anything more than trying to increase their times on a race. Anyway, I don't know how I got that far off on a tangent on Erythropoetin, but I think what I was trying to say and re-emphasize is that all supplements, all drugs for that matter, do more than one thing in the body. They're not all side effects. They're effects, right, that the drug or the supplement does. Some of them are going to be good, and some of them are going to be disappointing. And sometimes the effects can be outright tragic, right? So having a stroke and having the left side of your body not move for the rest of your life would be a tragic outcome with something like erythropoietin or numerous other things that I'll try not to go off on a tangent about. But since I did go off on a tangent, I think the best thing to do is to come back and do a second part on creatine and we'll dive much deeper into it, particularly its effects on muscles and workouts and strength. So this is Dr. Gil Parat, and I will catch you on the next round.